Growing up in a chaotic and dysfunctional family, emotionally neglected, even abused, it can leave you with a wounded ability to connect with people. And if you have this, you may have the tendency to cling to relationships, or you might respond to things that trigger your connection wound by running away. This is avoidance, and if you've ever fled from a partner or a friend or family member who cared about you, you know how painful this is and how intense the need can be to get away from them in the moment, and then how terrible it feels later. Now maybe you got overwhelmed by the other person's closeness to you or their expectations, or maybe it had little to do with the other person. It was your childhood PTSD triggers that just made it feel necessary to just disappear for a while, not even telling them why. Or maybe you lashed out at another person so that they would leave you, which is another form of avoidance, actually. Now, even when you desperately want people in your life, it can feel impossible to handle it for more than a short while. Why? Just like with clinging, avoidance is often caused by neglect and abandonment in your childhood. And that means connection is loaded with triggers. Now, when I say triggers, I mean an event, a stimulus that sets off dysregulation in your nervous system or your emotions, but you get dysregulated and you, without even realizing it, you're trying to avoid that feeling where you feel discombobulated, you can't focus, everything feels like too much. You get agitated, you get frozen, you just feel overwhelmed. Now, many avoidant people have a strong pattern of seeking out people who hold them at arm's length, never realizing that this is a way to avoid closeness too. And many people go back and forth between both patterns, you know, abandoning the other person and then getting abandoned. And sometimes this will happen in the same relationship back and forth, not fun. But either way, avoidance is a maladaptation and it's a coping mechanism that turned around and now it's biting you and the people who try to love you. So how can you tell if you're avoidant? The behaviors are things that you do when you get the urge to flee, which can sometimes be without you realizing it. Here's what some of those behaviors look like. Have you ever stormed out of the room when you were angry? Have you ever declared it's over to a partner when you didn't really mean it? Have you walked out of a job abruptly because you were angry or stressed? Have you ever gotten out of a car during an argument far away from where you were headed? not really thinking through how are you going to get home? Have you ever failed to show up without communication at an important event? Have you ever ghosted someone that's cutting off contact without telling them anything, no explanation? Do you have a habit of hanging up the phone on people when you're angry? Have you ever left a committed relationship by staying out all night with someone else? Do you have a pattern of refusing to speak with someone who hoped to resolve a conflict with you, but you refused? Do you cope with unhappy times in your life by fantasizing about an impossible romance or a wildly successful future? These are all signs of avoidance, and if they're a habit, they ruin relationships, and they can even be a form of emotional abuse. So with some awareness and structure, you can calm your triggers, and then you can learn to proceed slowly in relationships so that you can have the breathing space you need without ruining everything to get to know somebody, to grow closer. 
You may not be able to stop other people from behaving this way towards you, but you can stop your own abandoning behavior. And this can break the whole cycle, the imprinting of the abandonment that happened to you and that still draws you to situations where you're going to get abandoned. Now, when my CPTSD symptoms used to control my life, I was one of those people who clung to relationships and then trying to cope with that feeling of helplessness, I'd end the relationship impulsively or drive the other person to do it with hurtful behavior. I wasn't doing it on purpose at all. When I was dysregulated and I felt rejected, it would feel obvious and necessary that I needed to get out of there right away. And it was like gasping for air in a tiny room, you know, just, <gasps> I need to get out. So as soon as I'd walk away, disconnected from my feelings, I'd get outside and I would just feel like, ah, oh, relief. And the need to go would pass really quickly, but I'd have already said hurtful things. And then back then I was only ever in relationships that, you know, in my heart of hearts, I did want to get out of, but I didn't have the nerve to leave properly. So sometimes the drama was what I needed to get out the door, but it was an unhealthy pattern that always hurt people, including me. <laughs> And if you're going to have close relationships, hurtful behaviors have to stop. For me, fleeing dramatically went on the never do this list. And I think a lot of people with CPTSD know that feeling, even when they're the clinging types like I was, because sometimes clinging balances itself out when you run away for a while. When you don't have boundaries, it's the next best thing, isn't it? Just getting out of there for a little bit. Healthy people won't stay with you though if you use fleeing for self-regulation. And the only people who will tolerate that are usually other traumatized people who don't have much healing either. So that's one reason why our lives are so populated with each other, you know, with traumatized people. Not only do traumatized people understand us, but even when they're sick of the problems, their abandonment wounds are strong enough to keep them from leaving us. So sometimes leaving really is the best thing to do. And if there's abuse, it is always the right thing to do. It's imperative to leave with support. Now, if you've been living with CPTSD a long time, there are probably gonna be a few characters who don't belong in your life anymore. Ending relationships is best done soberly and consciously, not when you're frantic with dysregulated trauma and yelling and trauma thinking about, you know, it's all over. If, if, if it needs to be done, it can be done tomorrow. But a lot of avoidant behavior isn't about big dramas. It's subtle and a lot of us do it. And this is where we get into what I call covert avoidance, where you look like you have a connected life, but in reality, you, you're holding everyone at arm's length. You might even be married and have a family and have an enormous number of friends and people come over. But if you're a covert avoider, you will look okay on the outside, being cheerful, appropriate, functioning well enough. Hey everybody, but you're never really close to anyone. You don't make commitments. You RSVP yes to parties, but you don't go. And when you do go to parties, you find an excuse to get out of each conversation or go home early or you look at your phone while your loved one tells you about their day. Covert avoidance is a way of avoiding the situations that might trigger you. Things like rejection, criticism, abandonment. Those are things that can make a person with CPTSD feel destroyed. But if you go through life protecting yourself and you don't have the chance to heal and develop new strengths, this destroys you too. It hollows you out. It robs you of the experience of real love and purpose and the connection to other people you need. 
If your life feels empty and lonely, despite the fact that you do all the things that are supposed to fill up a life, you might be a covert avoider. Now, one big sign of covert avoidance is when you're too busy or too tired all the time to do normal things that a person in your position would do. Cleaning your house, cooking food, getting up when the alarm clock goes off, and brushing and flossing your teeth. Ah, flossing, that's high level, right? When you're avoiding this level of functioning, it's an inward-directed kind of avoidance. But then there are outward behaviors like being late to things, and it's normal to be late occasionally, but if you're known for being late or you're late by about the same number of minutes every time, it's avoidance. Now here are some more characteristics of covert avoidance. See what you've got. You're often surrounded by people, but you find that you hold yourself a little bit apart. You're good at appearing and sounding like you're enthusiastic about time with others, but a lot of the time you secretly just don't look forward to it. Your partner or friends complain that you're far away, you know, you're disinterested, you're not present, you're uncommitted, even though you do and say all the right things to convince them otherwise. You lie about reasons you decline social invitations, you know, say that somebody's sick or, you know, you have to work late. When you go to social gatherings, you look for ways to keep conversations short. You often cancel appointments at the last minute. In groups where everyone is supposed to contribute something like a fundraiser or a potluck dinner, you tend to contribute less than other people or nothing. You have broken off relationships for the sole reason that you felt like they were getting too close. You tend to go for partners who aren't available. That's avoidance. When people do something nice for you, it makes you anxious that they'll expect something back that you can't give, that you would hate having to be obliged around. Before you go outside, you look around to make sure you won't see your neighbors. <laughs> and then don't go outside until they're gone. When you tell people why you can't come or didn't come to an event where you were invited, you tend to exaggerate the problems. Like you were sick, but you make it a much bigger deal, or you're always talking about how the traffic was so bad. You don't like disappointing people, but eventually you always disappoint people. Does that happen to you? And finally, most of your relationships feel superficial. It's a sign that you've been avoiding. Like regular old avoidance, chronic covert avoidance will eventually drain your life of connection and meaning. You might go happily along for a little while, maybe because you're depressed or you're avoiding people in life. But if it goes on for a long time and it becomes a way of life, one day a crisis is gonna come and it's gonna make it very obvious that you didn't build up the connections that a person needs to make it through such hard times. That is a hardship. You may have spent years thinking that you had no choice but to protect yourself and protecting that fragile place inside of you that fears being judged or left out or alone. But in the long run, avoidance makes you be alone. Now, some of us avoid people and life by looking at our phones all the time. Some of us do it by taking unfulfilling jobs and then hating that job and postponing the day when we're going to start living our real life until after we leave the job that we never should have taken in the first place. Then we've got a great excuse not to volunteer at the school or not to take a walk with a friend, or we might find ourselves collapsed on the sofa every night. And even at home, we can do covert avoidance with people we love, just going through the motions. Or we stay with people we never loved, just buying some time for that day when we can emotionally handle making the change and leaving. 
You can do avoidance through food or drugs or video games or anything that numbs you out, telling yourself that as soon as you can stop, you'll get out of there, you'll change, it'll start tomorrow. So here's the thing. Once you have a way to calm your triggers and handle stress when it comes, because stress always comes, your trauma wounds can no longer cut you off from your own life. This is how you can turn avoidance around and start connecting. The first thing is to get honest with yourself about your current circumstances and what is likely to happen if you don't change. Now, you've got to become more conscious of why you're avoiding your own life. And here's a hint, it's probably dysregulation. In your mind, it usually feels like there's an external reason for why you have to avoid people. You find excuses not to show up on time, not to actually show up for the plans you made, not to answer the phone call or have the vulnerable conversation. But really you're just trying to stave off dysregulation because it's hard. So remind yourself that your dysregulation is neurological. It's happening in your brain. It's in your body. It's probably distorting your perception of how difficult or easy it would be to genuinely connect with people. You might be rusty at connection, but when you practice re-regulating, dealing with people gets easier. And then you don't have to avoid dysregulation triggers by avoiding people. You can calm your triggers and feel okay around people. That and setting boundaries, that's what you need. Now, if you're confident in your ability to get out of situations that you're worried will be too much, and we do that with boundaries, then that confidence allows you to go ahead and go to the party, to give it a try. A little at a time is how you can learn to make your world a little bigger, to start developing that inner equilibrium that you need. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content, think about joining my membership program. You can find out more information about that and all my courses and coaching programs at crappychildhoodfairy.com. Remember, healing is possible. People with childhood PTSD can have a wonderful life. Sometimes we just need a few workarounds. I'll see you next time.